Happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad you're here. We're in this sermon series called Growing Together. And really, it's a series about what it means, what it makes, what makes up being a part of the family of God. And last week, if you were here, we began the series and we talked about how, how really our birth certificate, when we were born, uh, doesn't really matter. Old, old folks, young folks, everybody in between, we're all part of the family of God. We all need to be helping each other as we move along in our faith. That was last week. Well, today, I suppose if I had a, a, a sermon title for today, it would be No Passports Required Either. We're using Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3 as, our, as the point of, of kicking off this series, and we'll go there every single week over the next four or so more weeks. And this is where Paul says this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's Jesus, 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 all Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The part we want to zoom in on today is Paul's words, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, what makes this a big deal, makes this a big deal because of who's writing it. It's Paul, former Pharisee, former persecutor of the church. Paul is the one that's writing this down, that there is neither Jew nor nor Gentile. That would have been a really big deal because because no dyed-in-the-wool Pharisee would have ever said that. They would have said there's a big difference between Jews and Gentiles. Pharisees would wake up in the morning and, and thank God that they were not born a Gentile, that they were not born a slave, that they were not born a, a woman. And here in this very passage, Paul blows all three of those things out of the water and says, says there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, slaves are free, male or female. There's no difference in Christ. We are all part of the big family of God. Imagine... If you were living in the first century and you were an Ethiopian, a female, a slave, maybe living in 49 AD or so, living in the town of Derby outside of Galatia, every morning you'd get up very early before the crack of dawn, make breakfast for your master. Uh, there was never a thank you. you don't, <laughs> when you're a slave, you don't hear thank yous. There's only ridicule at best, abuse at worst. And so, so this, this poor slave from Ethiopia would do whatever the master said, make his food, clean his house, do the chores, satisfy him in every way, except on Sunday. And on Sunday, because he, in his mind, he was so generous, he gave you a few hours off. And those few hours, you would gather with other former slaves or slaves or people who lived in Derby, and you would, you would, you would go to church. It probably wouldn't look like this church. But you would gather with some friends who all discovered their new faith in Jesus Christ. And when you would arrive, they were waiting for you. And when you would arrive, you'd you'd be there and they'd sing a few songs. And then someone would stand up and read a letter, a letter from the Apostle Paul. You've heard this letter repeated over and over again because he sent it to you. And and that's that's where you drew your strength and your hope from. But there's a particular passage that you can't wait till they get to. And it's found in what we call chapter 3. Back then, there was no chapters or verse headings. But you would wait with eager anticipation for the reader to stand up and to say these words, for there is in Christ. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
You've heard it before, but those are your favorite words. Because in the body of Christ, for this few short hours, maybe two hours, you're not an Ethiopian, you're not a slave, you're not a, a woman, you're not abused, you're not a plaything. You are simply and only a child of God. And in the world where every single day you are marginalized because you're a woman or looked down upon because of your color or abused because you are a slave, for that brief moment, you are simply only a child of God, an heir of Abraham. A future so, so, so very, very bright. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That news from Paul in Galatians 3 really shouldn't surprise us. The first verse that many of us learned is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We like to, to quote around, around here many times the, the Great Commission of Jesus, where he said, therefore, and go and make disciples in all nations. Seems pretty inclusive. In the end of chapter, uh, in the end of Mark's gospel, Mark includes the words of Jesus, very similar to the Great Commission in Matthew, that says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And a verse that we like to quote around here a lot of times are Jesus' last words, his final instructions to his disciples before being ascended into heaven is in Acts chapter 1 when he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It sounds, it sounds very much like what Paul is saying. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Jesus doesn't look at your passport. Jesus loves, loves folks from Russia just as much as he loves folks from Panama, just as much as he loves folks from Papua New Guinea. Jesus loves people, all people, every nation, Every people group, every color, every language, everybody. He, does, he doesn't like Americans more than Pakistanis or, or British more than Peruvians. Jesus loves everybody, 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 everywhere, everybody. Peter Arnett, uh, a former CNN reporter, told a story that I think captures what we're trying to talk about a little bit today. And he tells about being in a West Bank city, village in Israel, when, when an explosion went off. And bodies were thrown everywhere, and there was death and destruction all around him, the screams of the wounded, and, and those were just going off in all directions. And a man came running up to him, carrying a little a girl who was, who was bleeding profusely. And he said, Mr., Mr., you've got you've to help me. If you don't help me, she's going to die. We've got to get her to a hospital, and I can't get through the Israeli checkpoints, but you can because you're the press. And so if you don't help us, she's going to die. Get us to the hospital. And so Peter Arnett uh, uh, put the little girl and the man got in the back seat and, and they started off to the hospital in Jerusalem. Sure enough, they got through the checkpoints and they were making their way to the hospital and all along the way, the man was shouting, you've got to go faster, you've got to go faster. I think we're losing her, you've got to go faster. They got to the hospital and they immediately took the girl into to an operating room and, and Peter Arnett and this man who was just a stranger an hour before just kind of sat in the waiting room in stunned silence. It wasn't long before the doctor came out and he had a glum look on his face and he, and he was shaking his head. And he said, I'm so sorry, but we lost her. And the man broke down. He was just sobbing. And Peter Arnett really didn't know what to do and so he, he put his arms around the man and he said, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. I, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. I've never lost a child myself. And the guy looked up at Peter Arnett and said, Oh, mister, that Palestinian girl, she's not my daughter. 
I'm an Israeli. She's not my child. But, mister, there comes a time when each of us must realize that every child, regardless of that child's background, is a son or daughter. There must come a time when we realize that we are all family. And that's the point I think that Paul is making. When we're in Christ, we're all family. Doesn't matter what your birth certificate says. Doesn't matter who, what, what, what your passport says. If we're going to be like Jesus, love like Jesus, then quite frankly, we've got to love everybody. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision, and the heart for compassion, you know, World Vision has, has helped millions of people around the world, but the heart of compassion for him was birthed, really. He was a, a Korean war veteran, and, and the horrors that he saw in the Korean War caused him to write in his Bible, let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. He wrote that in his Bible. He returned home and he, he started World Vision that has fed hundreds, housed hundreds of millions, of given clean drinking water. That's what the runners were running for last week. Clean drinking water to millions of people around the world. Or give me a heart, your heart, Let it be broken for the things that break your heart. That's what he's saying. Seeing, you see, is the forerunner to authentic compassion. Bob Pierce saw and it moved into compassion. And over and over in the life of Jesus, we see that seeing has led to compassion. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the Bible tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it was the Samaritan that saw the man who was, who was the, the, the victim of a crime and had compassion on him. And even the story of the prodigal son, it was the father who saw the son a long way off and had compassion on him. Seeing leads to compassion. But you understand that's usually not the way we do things. Our tendency is to turn away. The temptation is to look at only the things that are nice and pleasing and wholesome and happy. We don't want to be brought down, so we don't want to look at sickness or disease or hunger or poverty or injustice. We turn a blind eye because it's, it's so disturbing. When we see pictures of, of starving children on TV, we, we, we don't like that. Or when we hear of the plight of some people, some of the, the poorest of the poor in our world, on the evening news, it's heart-wrenching. We don't like that. Seeing the loss of innocent life, it disturbs us, whether it's from a war or from racism or from school shootings or from abortion or whatever. It disturbs us, and it ought to. Go back with me to the Good Samaritan story. We're told that a priest came by, saw the victim lying in the pool of blood, horrified, maybe thinking he would be next, maybe thinking that his life was threatened, and he he, he left without lifting a finger to help. Later, a Levite came along, maybe a priest in training came along, saw the victim, saw the blood, again, maybe quickening his pace, but he got out of there as soon as he could. But then what? A Samaritan, the foreigner, the enemy, the one whose Jesus' listeners would have, would have when Jesus said the Samaritan, they would have instantly thought, oh boy, <laughs> you know, he's, he's probably going to rob him more, see if there's anything left. But it was a Samaritan that saw the man and was moved by compassion, which raises the question, did the Levite and the priest really see the man? They saw the ripped tunic. They saw the the, the aftermath of a violent crime. But did they see him? Did they really see him? See, the one thing that they didn't see was was the child of God. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? 
But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? See, the Samaritan was the one that was seeing the man, the the human being made in the image of God. What do you see when you look around? What do you see when you're watching the evening news? Who do you see when you drive through the city of Flint? How do you respond when you hear reports of natural disasters in our world or, or refugees fleeing for their lives because of violence or famine or war? Who comes to mind when politicians or pundits talk about the distressed and the troubled in our world? What's your reaction? Are you opening your eyes to the needy of people of the world that are desperately loved by our Heavenly Father? Compassion begins by opening our eyes. Paul said it, there's neither Jew nor Greek. It's just people. Remember in that Good Samaritan story, it was Jesus told that story in response to a man's question, what do I have to do to get, get to heaven? You've got to keep the commandments. Well, I love God and I love my neighbor. And then he asked that posing deep question. But Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the whole story. And the whole reason for that, the point of that story is, is to love people, even people that are different from us. People who think differently, behave different, vote different, come to different conclusions. We aren't to hate those people, we're to love those people. It's seeing that people are people and Jesus loves all people. He doesn't ask for their passport. He doesn't require their birth certificate. He just loves people. That's, that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It's people made in the image of God. And if we are to be like Jesus then we've got to love people too. That we've got to be moved by compassion by people too. That, w- that we need to recognize that all people are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. From time to time, uh, we should probably evaluate how we are responding. What are our words? What emotions spring up in us? especially when we're, we're encountering or we hear about people who are different from us. In our ever-polarizing world, it seems that all sides of the political spectrum are very good at labeling and categorizing and dehumanizing our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are created in the image of God, people that Jesus loves desperately. And, and, and it leads us, the popular practice is to turn discussions into us versus them. And us are always the good guys, and them are always the bad guys. But Paul writes, wait a minute, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. When we're in Christ, we're one family. Have you ever thought about the stories that Jesus tells? Most of the stories, the parables that Jesus tells, are based on agriculture. Because most of his listeners were farmers. And so he tells the story of the mustard seed or the parable of the, of the, you know, the soils or the wheat and the tares, those type of stories. People could relate to them because most of them were farmers. So if Jesus were to come here today and, 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 and tell stories today, 2019, Flint, Michigan, would he tell the same stories or would he, would he tailor them to our circumstance? The parable of the auto worker, the, the parable of the forge garage mechanic how would he how would he approach the parable of the good samaritan would it be different i haven't bumped into too many samaritans lately well technically i did because i was in samaria panama you know 10 days ago so 
I did bump into some, but usually I don't see too many Samaritans. Not good Samaritans, not bad Samaritans, not any Samaritans. You know, we don't see too many. So if Jesus were telling this story today, the way that we sometimes label people or look over people or look down upon people, the way that sometimes we view people as an enemy rather than a brother. And if we were to go up to Jesus like that guy did in Luke chapter 10 and say, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to, to, to gain eternal life? Well, you've got to keep the commandments. I do. I love God, love my neighbor. But Jesus, one, one question, who's my neighbor? And if Jesus were writing today, 2019, telling the story, Flint, Michigan, maybe he would say, well, there was a guy, and he was traveling down I-23, and he had a blowout. And, 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 and he was by the side of the road, and he didn't know what to do, and and a, and a Baptist went driving by and looked over at him, waved at him, and sped on his way. And then a Nazarene came driving by and saw him, waved at him, called 911, said, hey, there's a guy along the way. But then, could you believe it? A dirty, rotten, stinking immigrant pulled in right behind that guy and said, could I help you? Or what if he told the story and said there was a, there was a good Muslim or a good Hindu, or a good atheist, or a good homosexual, or a good Roman Catholic, or a good Jehovah's Witness, or a good black guy, or a good white guy, or a good Democrat, or a good Republican, or a good you fill in the blank. See, we get so much into labeling and, and polarizing and saying, I can't like... This isn't a question of, of agreeing with everything that person says or does or thinks or behaves. To love doesn't require that we agree with everything they say or do or think or behave. It doesn't mean that. It means... Here, this is, this is deeply profound. That we're going to love them. It means if they're going to experience the love of Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen as we're throwing tomatoes at them or, 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 or words of hate. Jesus implies that, that, that this good Samaritan, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us what his background, he doesn't tell us what his mindset is, he doesn't tell us his theological convictions. All he tells us, all we know is on that road, there was a guy, he was hurt, and he stopped to help him. And Paul says, listen, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Jew nor Jew. Everybody can be, everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. God doesn't play favorites. No, I take that back. God does play favorites. Everybody's his favorite. In the Gospel of John, John uh, tells us about Jesus coming to the earth. And he says, you remember, we usually read this passage at Christmas time. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did Jesus do that? Why did the word become flesh and make his dwelling among us? Why did he come in the manner in which he came? Jesus was the only one born ever who could choose where he was going to be born. Uh, to whom he could pick his mom and dad he was going to be born. All when he was going to... He is the only one that could... I couldn't choose. I was born in Annapolis Hospital, Wayne, Michigan. Bob and Carol Prince had no choice in the matter. When Alex was born, our son Alex was born. I was just telling somebody this story. 
when Alex was born, we were living in Bad Axe, Michigan. We decided to have uh, the baby in Bay City. Bay City Medical Center had a NIC unit. Bay, Bad Axe Hospital did not. So we decided that we were going to have the baby in, in Bay City. It's 60 miles from Bad Axe to Bay City. And so, so when Carla told me on October 22nd, 1991, that she was in the middle of the night... That, that she needed to go to the hospital. I hopped out of that bed quicker than quick. I ran into the bathroom, took a shower. I don't even know if I got wet. Ran back into the bedroom, ready to go to the hospital. She's still in bed. I said, Carla, what in the world are you doing? I said, we got to get to the hospital. She goes, I cannot go to the hospital as long as there's dirty dishes in the sink. <laughs> I ran downstairs, did the dishes in the sink faster than you can say palm olive dishwashing liquid. I did those dishes so fast. I ran back upstairs. She's still in bed. I said, Carla, somebody's going to the hospital. I, it could be just me, but I'm going. <laughs> and to make a long story short, you know, we got those 60 miles uh, in quicker than 60 minutes, I can assure you. We drove there. I drove there. I drove into the, into the over, overhang of the, of the emergency room. I ran into the emergency room, found the first nurse I could see. I said, my wife is having a baby. She's in my 1991 Mercury Topaz, and, and, and her contractions are a minute and a half apart. And the nurse says, have you filled out all the paperwork? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's exactly what she said. I said, no, ma'am. I haven't filled out any paperwork. And she said, are you telling me your wife is in your 1991 Mercury Topaz and her contractions are a minute and a half apart and you have not filled out any paperwork? I said, you have just summed up the situation perfectly. <laughs> she was not happy with that response either. So they went and, you know, they got Carla and I filled out paperwork and eventually, you know, Alex was born, no harm, no foul, no nothing. I t- why t- Alex didn't have any say in the matter. He couldn't tell us that he wanted to be born in Bad Axe or Bay City. He didn't have any say in the matter of Carla and I being his parents. No say. But Jesus did. So, so why them? Why there? Why would Jesus choose a, 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 a teenage mother? You moms, Mother's Day. Why would Jesus choose to be born in a stable in Bethlehem? No hospitals nearby. Why would Jesus choose to only be greeted by shepherds? Why would Jesus choose then? peasant parents. Why them? Why there? I think, I think in part because in those humble circumstances so far removed from the majesty, the glory, the wonder of heaven, in a barn, in a cave probably, in Bethlehem, to peasant parents, no one ever could say, well, Jesus doesn't understand my situation. He is born with a silver spoon in his mouth. No Not it at all. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians, said this about Jesus. said, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. A little earlier in that same book, same chapter, a few verses earlier, Paul writes, your mindset, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. See, my point is Jesus chose to identify with the poorest of the poor, the most backwoods place in, in, in all. No wonder Paul would say, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Look at Jesus. It's about people. Jesus loves people, all people. He doesn't look at your passport. He doesn't care about your birth certificate. He looks at people and says, all people are welcome. One of the great missionaries the world has ever known 
was a guy by the name of David Livingston in the, in the 19th century who went to Africa. Uh, David Livingston, this great, great missionary, took off as a 19-year-old man, went to Africa, spent 16 years in Africa before his very first furlough. After 16 years in Africa, he received an invitation to speak at his home nation's uh, university, the University of Glasgow. Had he known what the, what the university was known for, maybe he would have turned down the invitation, but he accepted it. The university was known to be very hostile to visiting lecturers or speakers. The student body would bring noisemakers and pea shooters and, and toy trumpets to play to interrupt the speaker when he would get up to speak. But David Livingston was there, and when he was introduced, he started to make his way across the platform. David Livingston, who had walked in those 16 years, walked 11,000 miles across Africa to take the message of Jesus to people anywhere. Why? Because people are people, and God loves all people. His body was far more aged than his 35 years. His left arm was, was left hanging, left arm, not right. Left arm was like hanging because of a lion attack that nearly ripped the, the arm out of its socket. His, his face was leathery brown because of the, the exposure to the hot African sun. His body was in, emaciated because of the fevers and disease that left him half deaf and, and blind in one eye. By his own account, he was nothing but a ruckle of bones. That's what he said. I don't even know what a ruckle of bones is, but I don't think that's good. And as he made his way across that platform at the University of Glasgow, not one noisemaker went off. Message of Jesus to people, all people, doesn't matter where they were. And so as he stood before that student body, literally burning himself out for the glory of God, he looked at them and he said, do you know what sustained me through my years in Africa? What kept me going? It was a promise. A promise from Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. For God so loved the world. And he commands us to bring the good news in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because there's neither Jew nor Greek. Why? Because Jesus loves all people. Lord, thank you for your great love that reached down to us. Truth of the matter is, Lord, we want everybody to be in heaven. People that we agree with, people we don't agree with, people who look like us, people who don't look like us, people who speak the same language as us, people who don't. Lord, we want everybody. We want to see heaven packed out. And we want you to use us. And we want to pray that prayer that your kingdom would come and your, your will would be done right here in Flint. And if that happens, Lord, we might look a little different. Sometimes we might sound a little different. But we'll be looking a little bit more like heaven. That's the point. We want to see that happen. We want to see your will done and your glory come. And Flint's looking a whole lot more like heaven. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.